Welcome to Boss Files. I'm Poppy Harlow. We are all living in a new normal right now. Our world feels completely turned upside down in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak, and there is so much uncertainty. So for the next few weeks, Boss Files will be bringing you the voices of leaders from all around the world, talking with us about how they're coping and leading their teams and their businesses through this crisis. From so many anticipated layoffs to skyrocketing unemployment to a down stock market, we're having tough conversations about what this new normal looks like for businesses, for workers, and for our economy. To kick off our series, which we're calling Boss Files, a test of leadership, Facebook COO Cheryl Sandberg joined me. Here's our conversation. Cheryl, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad to be with you, Poppy, and I am. Just hope everyone out there who's listening is healthy and safe and doing all right. This is this is hard for everyone. It is Wednesday evening, March 18th. I'm at home, working from home. You're at home. This is our new reality. And I, I just want to jump in uh, with big picture. How is coronavirus affecting Facebook, your employees? I know some of your employees have have contracted it uh, and we hope they're doing okay. What, what does this mean for you guys, big picture? Oh my God, it really affects every aspect of what we do and also every aspect of like our personal lives, right? So I think at the highest level, we're just really focused on keeping our services up and running and making sure people get, you know, good information. Mark announced this morning a coronavirus information center, a new hub. We are aggressively taking down any harmful misinformation on COVID-19, working really closely with the WHO, the CDC, local health authorities to get people the right information and also keep our services up. You know, people are using a lot of the things we offer more because they're home and they are messaging more and they are video chatting more. And, you know, we, we take that responsibility to help people connect in isolated times really seriously. You know, we also have a really big, big obligation to our employee. We've been kind of aggressively pushing working from home for a while, but yesterday we shut down every site we could. Mandatory. Including a lot of our contractor operations. And so it's been a a mad rush to get people home and equipped to do the work they can do from home and figure out how we're going to cover the things we can't cover. But we take the health of our employees that seriously that that we have to we had to get as many people as we could home, and we did that yesterday. What obviously this is we're heading into day three of shelter in place in the Bay Area, right? For you guys, mm-hmm. so what what has that meant? I mean, employees' needs obviously their families come first, the health of their families, taking care of their children out of school. Many don't have any childcare. How are you addressing that with them? Well, we tried to address it, you know, very directly. We gave all of our employees globally, actually, an extra $1,000 just to cover things they need to get set up at home. But we also told our whole company that everyone's bonus is going to get paid out at a high performance level. So we have a rating system every six months. If you get meets expectations, you get 100% of your bonus. And if you get exceeds, you get more than that. We're giving the entire company exceeds. And what we're saying to them, and Mark said it very clearly, and the rest of us are echoing what he said, is that we know you can't do what you normally can. So we are we don't want you to be worried about your performance. Your bonus is happening even more than 100% of what you would expect. We want you to take care of yourself, take care of um, the people around you first and foremost. What about contractors, Cheryl? Obviously, you have a lot of direct employees, but you guys also have a lot of contractors. You've also got cafeteria workers and janitors and all those people. When you shut down all those offices, they're not coming. Are are the benefits extended to them? What are you doing on that front? 
well, we're paying everyone. Everyone's getting their full their full wages, whether you're sick, whether you can work. One of the reasons we shut down the sites was because our security contractors, our janitorial workers, our you know people who are cooking and cleaning, they had to come in, and we didn't think that was fair. But you're still so paying we're, them. We're still paying them. Okay, we're paying them in their home. Okay, um, when when you first asked, because you were on the front end of this of asking people to work from home a few weeks ago. Can you talk about some solutions, hiccups, what worked, what didn't? Because a lot of people listening now run much smaller businesses, but they're just learning to get their head around this and grappling with it because they still need to do the work they can. Uh, but people are also trying to take care of their kids at home at the same time. So I think for smaller businesses, it's really a largely economic issue. And we had a big thing. We announced $100 million in grants to small businesses um, yesterday, which if you want to talk about it, I'd love to talk about. Yes. If you have the ability to pay people and keep them home, which which we do and push as much work as possible home or virtual business, you know, what we did many weeks ago when this first broke out and we always do is if you're sick, stay home, you will get paid. Please stay home. Don't get other people sick. We've done that before coronavirus, but obviously it became much more serious. Then we went to a pretty aggressive and I think pretty early recommending you work from home. And then we tried to model good behavior. You know, Mark and I looked at each other and said, okay, if we're recommending people work from home, you and I can't come to this office because if we come, people are going to come. So we said, recommended work from home, we are home. Um, And really, you know, told people, unless you have to be here, we really recommend you work from home. But to your point, when we were keeping sites open, even if we were recommending, the contractors and some of the other employees had to come in. And that's why yesterday we moved to aggressively just close sites while fully paying everyone. Uh, the, the announcement, $100 million in small business grants. Obviously, a lot of small businesses advertise through Facebook. They use Facebook to acquire new customers. How exactly is that going to work? Meaning, what do people need to do to qualify? Are they mainly cash grants? How can they get this? So you go to facebook.com slash grants for business. And we're going to be uh, collecting information and then informing people there. It's the majority is cash. You don't have to be a Facebook customer to get it or, you know, be awarded a grant. If you are a Facebook customer, we're also, along with the cash, giving you Facebook ad credits. And we'll give that to anyone, you know, if they, if they want to use it as well. We're going to ask some very simple questions. You know, we'd like businesses to apply that have been in business longer than a year. We want you to tell us what your business does, how you plan on weathering the storm and how you plan on using the money. But for the most part, we're just giving cash to the local businesses and letting them decide because we think they will know better than we will what they really need right now. You know, Cheryl, I you said something at the beginning that struck me, and that is the, the demand is higher now for Facebook. Of course it is, not only for the information, but because people are home with less to do going out. And I just talked to Jay Carney at Amazon yesterday, same thing, higher demand, of course, for all of their uh, different divisions now, right? And so they're hiring 100,000 more workers in distribution centers. Have you and Mark had conversations about whether this may actually turn into a hiring opportunity for Facebook? Meaning, do you think you guys can hire some of these folks that are out of work? Well, we're trying to keep our hiring going because we have, you know, a lot of products to build and a lot of customers to service. Um, we are trying to keep our interview loops going, uh, keep going. It's definitely been hard over the last few weeks, um, yeah. but, we're, but we, we want to keep we want to keep hiring as much as we possibly can. More with Facebook COO Cheryl Sandberg after the break.
Let's talk about misinformation. Uh, you brought it up at the top. It is what Mark Zuckerberg today on the call with reporters called your number one priority, especially when so many people get their news from Facebook. Can you talk about what you're rolling out, which is this new coronavirus information center that will be, I guess, at the top of everyone's feed? What's the goal? So the goal is to make sure people are getting accurate information. So the Coronavirus Information Center is like a dedicated place that includes the latest information and guidance from health authorities, news, videos, best practices for prevention, what do you do if you're not feeling well. And if you follow the page, you're going to get notifications and see updates from health authorities. You know, one of the most important things is getting the right information to people. So in one more lighthearted example, even though the topic's super serious, the director of the WHO asked me and others to start taping videos of ourselves washing our hands. I saw that for a minute. <laughs> 40 to 60 seconds of hand washing. You've it's never, <laughs> it's so long, right? But it's but needed, that, but it's long. Yeah. But he asked us to do that video and I, Tom and I, my fiance, we did that video and actually sitting there for 40 to 60 seconds, that's what this takes, this virus takes. And so, you know, that's information people need. And so that's a, you know, a more lighthearted, but again, very serious example. But there's a lot of information we need to get out. And we're taking that responsibility incredibly seriously. There's also, on a very serious note, the issue of misinformation. And this has been a huge challenge for Facebook, candidly, over for the past few years, of course, since the election. What, what are you doing? Because there is misinformation posted all over Facebook. How are you making sure it is all being taken down? And is anything exempt? So when it comes to COVID-19, we are looking for the mo for harmful misinformation and getting it down as quickly as possible. We're actually relying on the WHO and CDC and other health experts to tell us what are the things that are the most harmful and what are the things they want that are debunked, they want down quickly. And we're working as aggressively as we can to get this down. And I also want to be clear that anyone who says harmful misinformation on COVID-19, it comes down. There is no exemption. There is no exceptions for politicians. There are no exceptions for anyone. If you tell everyone to drink bleach and it's going to cure this, it's down. Yeah. Well, there, because you tell everyone you're going to buy a product here or buy this miracle pill or this miracle mask and you're protected, not happening. Because there have been recent examples of some politicians giving Americans advice and telling them to do things that is exactly the opposite of what WHO and CDC are saying to do. So, even that comes down, even members of Congress, no matter how high up it goes in terms of politicians? If it was harmful information, the information the WHO has asked us to make sure does not get disseminated, no matter who says it, it would come down. Help people understand the difference between that and the decision you guys made when it comes to political ads, deciding not to be the arbiter of what's true or not true on political ads. Why, why does this apply during this COVID-19 crisis and not uh, during the election and not in politics? Well, we do ban political ads that could lead to any imminent harm or incite violence. So the standard of immediate imminent harm, we keep. And if you had a political ad that did that, it would come down. When it comes to political ads that are more just part of the regular debate, we really believe they're a form of free expression, that it's a special category carved out by governments and us. And when you think about what political debate is, one politician says something, another politician says it's false. The next politician says something else. The next person says it's not true or it's not going to work that way. And for that, you know, the political debate is pretty robust. And it's not that those don't get scrutiny. We actually think they get more scrutiny. And we really believe that while it sounds like some people think, oh, Facebook should start doing it, if we actually started deciding what was true and false in politics, 
that would be a position no one really wanted us to have. So if it's imminent harm, going to spread a virus, it's down no matter who did it, did, does it. But if it's part of the political debate, we believe that political debate is a robust process that needs to happen. And it would be too much power for one company, ours or any others, to take that, take that position. We do think there should be regulation here. We don't think any, you know, there's no single government authority dictating what's in bounds and what's bounds. We don't think we should do it. But we do think getting clear guidance on this would make a really big difference. And we'd love to see that happen. What about, Cheryl, right now with COVID-19 and this crisis, private groups? Because that is where often misinformation thrives, especially when it comes to medical misinformation. And I know that can actually be harder for your monitors to track, find, take down. What challenge is that presenting for you guys? Well, we have two ways of finding things. One is by automated, you know, going through and automated, automated, you know, machines, machine learning, finding things that applies everywhere. I think private groups are less likely to get reported. And so we do, we do have a bit of a challenge there, but I think we're sweeping pretty consistently. And when it gets reported, you know, look, we have, we have less of a workforce than we used to, right? People are home. A lot of our contractors weren't able to take the work they normally do home. And so we have to prioritize what's most important. So does that mean you have less monitors then on this stuff? Just as a function, we don't have less. We do not have less monitors on this stuff. Okay. We are putting all the resources we have on anything that could be harmful. So COVID nineteen, suicide prevention, violence, anything with child exploitation, we are definitely going to be a little slower on the rest of the stuff. Our turnaround times are definitely decreasing, as we're really prioritizing the things that are most that are most important. The good news is we've invested a lot in technology. If you look at the amount of hate speech, the amount of other things that we can take down without human review, it's gone up and up and up. And so, you know, we're really feeling fortunate that we've made those investments over the last two years because we've been doing less with humans and doing more with machines. And that is serving us well right now. Are you in daily contact, you or Mark, with the White House on all of this? I don't know if we're in daily contact, but we've certainly had contact and we are in very close contact. Certainly we're in daily contact with the WHO and this not me and Mark always, it's our whole team. We've got teams on it, but someone is in daily contact uh, for sure. And Mark and I have had a lot of contact with the director of the WHO. There uh, is new reporting that just crossed that the Trump administration is in talks with Google, with you guys at Facebook and some other big tech firms about the possibility of using American cell phone location data to track the spread of the virus, to track traffic flows, et cetera. Is, is the White House asking you for this information? And if so, what's your stance, given the obvious questions about privacy, right? Public health versus privacy. I don't believe so, or at least no one has told me that's happened. And I think that's based on kind of a misunderstanding that we have that data. Okay. So we do not have, a, a lot of people think we have a lot more location data than we do. So no conversations with the White House at that point, at this point on that front. That I'm aware of. What about public-private partnerships? I just, I think about moments like this, and a lot of people are making wartime analogies, right, Cheryl, uh, in terms of coming together. Um, what what do you think Facebook can do with the federal government, with state governments um, to try to help here? Well, I think we're doing it, um, or we're doing everything we can, and what we're going to keep doing as much, right, we did $100 million in grants to small businesses. We're working very closely with these global health organizations, but also local health ministries to get the right information, get the right information to people. And we're going to keep doing that. We also made grants to third-party fact checkers, 
organizations that are doing the fact checking on COVID-19 particularly to make sure that they can debunk myths more quickly. Uh, we made grants to local news organizations in the I U.S. I saw that. Yeah. Well, that's because we think local news organizations need to cover COVID-19 and from a local point of view. And we all know that local news is really struggling financially. So you know, we're doing this all very quickly. Everyone's moving very quickly, but we made local grants to local news organizations to help cover. And we're going to you know, keep working on this. We also really take our responsibility with small businesses so seriously. I mean, we are so lucky that we can pay all of our employees and contractors, but a lot of small businesses can't. And I'm hearing from them every day. And that's why we're doing- they can't. They're devastated. I mean, they're, you know, the messages just keep flooding into us as well. Yeah. Uh, and how long do you think, Cheryl, Facebook can afford to do that? Or, you know, we're hearing these reports that this could last 18 months and there could be different variations of the virus. How long is, is Facebook prepared to keep paying people who can't come to work and can't work remotely? Well, I think we're, again, very fortunate. We're going to keep paying people. But a lot of small businesses can't. And there are a lot of things people can do. So a bunch of uh, people I know, I've done it too, my friends, my sister and I, you can go buy gift certificates to small businesses that are closed right now. So they get the cash now. That's a good That's one way point. of supporting small businesses. I think there, is a, there are a lot of things we can do. We also have to think about basic needs. You know, I've been, um, I've been a very active donor and volunteer to our local food bank. Right. There are 22 million children in this country who rely on free and reduced lunch and breakfast. That's 10 of 21 meals. Those schools are closing. And so the need for food has never been bigger. I've done a Facebook fundraiser, raised over $225,000, more than double anything I've ever been able to do before. And a small group of Silicon Valley leaders and I got together. And in two days, we raised a lot of money. Everyone stepped up. I think at over 7 million at this point, right? Yeah, over 7 million. And, you know, this is, this is all of us looking at each other and saying, as we, you know, I thought of this when Tom and I, we're stocking up on groceries for our house. We kind of looked at each other. We're like, wow, a lot of families can't do this. And, you know, I've worked with the food bank for a long time. So called the food bank and we established a COVID-19 emergency fund to feed families that afternoon. And we did, we raised $7 million in two days. But what a lot of people said when I called them was, thank you. Of course, I'm going to donate and I'm going to donate twice what I've ever donated before. I hadn't thought of this. And I think just helping everyone remember, this is not just health. This is basic needs for a lot of families. I I ha- had a similar experience with you, at the, you know, that you did at the grocery store this past weekend, right? Standing in line, f- feeling guilty that I could afford to buy enough to stock up for, you know, a week or so for my family. And thinking about if the New York City public schools close, which they did, by the way, as you know, Cheryl, on Monday, that's going to mean that all those kids that rely on the school for free breakfast and and free lunch aren't, you know, how are they going to access it, et cetera. You've got in New York City over 100,000 homeless kids that rely on the New York City public school system for that. So, and I think you, one in three children in the Bay Area, food insecure. So what are, what are we all doing on that front is exactly right. Um, it's one in eight children in America. Before yeah, unbelievable. Before. Before COVID-19, one in eight children in America suffers food insecurity and one in three children in the Bay Area. So we have a very serious responsibility to make sure people can get food. Also, from the food bank point of view, our costs are going up. Normally, we rely very heavily on volunteers. Volunteers aren't coming, so we have to pay for that. Normally, we distribute. Everyone comes together. You know, my family and I go to a distribution. We hand out food. 
people aren't coming. So we need to find a way to deliver meals to people. All of that costs more. So the needs skyrocketing and the costs are going up. And so, you know, Ben Affleck did a fundraiser for Feeding for America. We're seeing more and more. I mean, we're encouraging a lot of people. I think you're going to see more in the next few days. But remembering food insecurity is huge. Uh, let's, if we could just end on this, because one thing uh, a lot of people can relate to in different ways and that you and I have in common is working from home with kids at home, right? My afternoons <laughs> are spent working at home. My whole day may soon be spent working at home. Your whole day is working at home. You and your fiance, Tom, have five kids in the house now together. What what has that been like actually for you to run Facebook from home with teenage kids? Look, I, I know every minute in all of this, how lucky I am. So I have amazing kids and a fully stocked fridge that I could afford to buy. And I'm not worried about losing my job. So I start there. You know, so these are small challenges, but you know, the first day I was on a conference call with Mark and our entire senior leadership team, as my son walked by and I was like, give me a hug. You know, and I like forgot I wasn't on mute. Right. And, you know, that was a tad embarrassing. And in order to do this call, I had to go find my children and remind them I am going to be on a radio show or, you know, <laughs> right. podcast show for 20 minutes. If you need a glass of water, get it yourself. Right. You know, right. Mom. Um, you know, but I do think the longer term challenge is how do we keep our kids really learning? You know, the schools are rolling out online learning. I don't think any of the schools were fully prepared for this. Um, how do we keep our schools engaged? I also think, look, I've, I've lived, I've, no one's ever lived through a time like this. The, but, the, you know, we had in my home when I lost my husband five years ago, we had some really very, very different but very seriously hard times. And I tried really hard to, to teach my kids to think about those we can help even in the days after, you know, losing their father and that that's hard. But, you know, my, my son and daughter and I this morning had a conversation about they've watched me and trying to help raise money for the food bank. They said, well, we can't raise money for the food bank. Our friends are home and we can't like do what we normally do for the food bank. We normally go to the distributions. And so we were talking about what they could do. And we agreed that they can call their grandparents on FaceTime every day or every other day. And that there are also a lot of adults in their life that they know are home and it's really lonely, but they could FaceTime with, you know, at least two people a day and just tell people, especially not kids, they FaceTime plenty with their friends without being told, <laughs> but adults, adults, their aunts, their uncles, you know, friends of our family, especially people who are older and really quarantining alone, that they could call and FaceTime and say they love them and ask them how they are. And that might make a very big difference. And they're both really happy to do it. So I think we can help our kids get through this by try to keep them learning and try to keep them remembering in so many ways, how lucky, even in this, mm -hmm. they have it. And, and I think also, at least for me, my kids are much younger, two and four. So I have, uh, my husband is being lovely and keeping them downstairs so they don't jump all over this laptop right now, but <laughs> they will be up here in just about a minute, I'm sure when we're done. Um, but so my, my sort of challenges are, are different in terms of working from home with them, but also the opportunity I think to keep reminding ourselves is we don't have to go to anything there. We don't have to go to obligations. We don't have to go to these events and, and things. And we have the, this beauty of time that we often don't have enough of. So there's that. There's that in this moment, for sure. We're all going to remember, like, we're all going to remember this period in our lives. And, you know, it, it. I don't know how long this will go on. I'm not a health expert, but it looks like this might be one of the defining moments, you know, of our generation, you know, and then we're going to try to hopefully take the good. And I will say, especially in my job at Facebook, even with all this fear out there and people getting sick, 
There is so much good, Poppy. We see groups coming together on Facebook, hundreds and hundreds. We see, you know, nurses asking other people to cover their shifts so they can go into the hospital. We see people thanking healthcare workers. You know, we see people volunteering to pick up groceries for the elderly, for people they don't even know on Facebook, and I'm sure on a lot of other services. And this is an opportunity for us to be there for each other. Final question uh, is your, if you have a message to corporate America, because I think we're also seeing the limits of the government, the, the ability of the federal government, and we all have, have limits on what we can do, but is there a message that you have to your peers and what the responsibility of corporations you think is in a, in a crisis like this? I mean, you know, the, the sort of Milton Friedman ask, you know, the bottom line profit drives all just is, isn't going to cut it right now. Oh, 100%. I mean, look, I think everyone who can help and certainly corporations and big corporations have even more of a responsibility. We have a responsibility to provide the services people need. We're taking that really seriously. People are messaging and video chatting and reaching out on Facebook. And we have to keep our data centers running and our service up. People are WhatsApp. People are using WhatsApp to provide vital health information. So we've got to do that. We're working incredibly hard on all of the things that make our services safe, getting harmful misinformation down, getting the right messages out. And we have a responsibility to take care of our employees, to dig deep, to lower. Everyone should be you know, not worrying about, to the extent they can, small businesses can't, but what matters a lot more is that we take care of all of our employees than we take care of any bottom line. That is absolutely our approach. And I have to believe that's the approach of a lot of businesses and will be over the coming days and weeks. Cheryl, good luck. Good luck on this. Keep us posted. And just thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for uh, for covering this. And I'm, I'm sorry to get to hear a two and a four-year-old during this call because that would actually be great. So. Okay, honey, you can bring him in now. No. <laughs> All right, Cheryl. Thanks again. Be safe. Take good care. Bye. All right, bye. I'm really glad you could join us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Boss Files. Make sure to keep tuning in over the next several weeks as we talk to more business leaders about how they're coping with all of this uncertainty and the challenges presented by the coronavirus pandemic. Leave us a rating. Let us know what you think. You can leave us a review on your favorite podcast app, and you can always find me. Let me know what you're thinking on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN. We'll be back next week with another episode of Boss Files. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.